Okay, so after, over these last few weeks, we've been doing a series called uh, Born Identity, where we've been looking at who we are and who God says we are from the perspective of the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're slightly transitioning today. We've actually moved into chapter three, which is a bonus, isn't it? We were stuck in chapter one for a long time. But um, it's kind of more about, well, how do we do that? How do we actually live from this place of secure identity? How do we actually do that? And I love that I get to talk about this prayer in Ephesians 3. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Steve talked a few weeks ago for, from Ephesians 1, the prayer that's in Ephesians 1. And I, I honestly think if you could memorize these two prayers, one in Ephesians 1 and the one in Ephesians 3, and then pray them regularly over yourself, over your friends, over your family, I'm pretty, I'm going to go with a guarantee. I guarantee they will change your life. So that's my little homework task for you today. Uh, if you memorize these two prayers, the one from Ephesians 1 and this, this one as well. So let's read it. Um, hopefully the words will come up on the screen. There are Bibles as well at the back, at the information point at the back. If you haven't got a Bible, please take one with our compliments. They are free for you. Okay, so Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. And it says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that according to his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What a prayer. It's incredible, isn't it? You could just read that every day and just not get tired of it. I love that all the prayers in the Bible are quite short. They're not really kind of long, lengthy prayers, are they? They're kind of quite accessible for us. I think, you know, Jesus prayed short prayers and Paul prayed short prayers. I think it's the, the way that we come to God as our Father, just like a child, we come to him. And we just have to say what's on our heart. So this passage starts off by saying, I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this phrase here because apparently Jewish prayers were only offered standing up. That's how they offered them, standing up. And Greeks apparently did as well. Um, the only time that Jews would kneel is in the presence of a king, apparently. So uh, Paul's kneeling here, it's a sign that he sees God as his king, as his sovereign. And I think that's the attitude we have, don't we? When we come to God in prayer, we were, we were singing this morning, we were singing, you're worthy of it. And you, you kind of come before God as our king um, with a sense of reverence and respect. But then on the other hand, he says, I kneel before the father. And it's like a little child coming to ask something from his daddy. There was a, a story um, where the father of a little boy was, the father was in the army 
and after he did some heroic actions on the battlefield, he was promoted to being a general. And when the little boy was told about this, he looked a bit sad. And when he asked what the matter was, he said, can I still call him daddy? And I think it's this, it's this kind of like both of these things, isn't it? It's the fact that we can come to God in, uh, in prayer as our king and our, uh, as in reverence, but actually we can come to him as daddy as well. I remember um, a few years ago being in uh, Israel on holiday, quite a number of years ago actually, before I met Steve. Um, and I remember being around the swimming pool and there was all these little kids um, you know, shouting out to their dads. They were going, Abba, Abba, catch me, catch me. And so it talks about Jesus calling Abba, Father. And so that Abba is literally Daddy. That is literally what it means. It's a weird word, isn't it, when we say Abba, but it is what little kids in Hebrew call their Daddy. And so uh, this is who we're relating to as God. He's our Daddy. He's our, he's our Father. And so many of us have bad experiences of fathers where they've let us down and they they haven't been there for us or they you know we just don't have a good picture of what a father is and the reality is is that God is a perfect father and we have to try and discover that don't we that he is not only our king but he's the perfect father so Paul kneels when he prays to the father and I'm not saying that this is the posture we must all be in when we when we pray we're not all going to suddenly start kneeling every time we we pray I think part of the wonder of prayer is that you can, you can pray at any time, can't you, with any, any space, anywhere, with anyone, in any posture. There's no command in Scripture to kneel when you pray. But I guess it's where the posture of our hearts is, isn't it? About the posture of our hearts in reverence and awe before our maker. And yet we approach God with a freedom and confidence that he's our dad. So it's both of those two things. So then going on, it says, Ephesians three sixteen and 17, it says that uh, he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I get a bit lost in that, those phrases. So I just want to break it down a little bit. So this prayer request in outline form is as follows. So he says, I pray that God would strengthen you with power. Can you flip on to the third one, Alex? So he prays that, that God would strengthen you with power. First of all, according to the riches of his glory, that's provided by God. Ta-da! <laughs> so the first one. According to the riches of his glory, which is God provided, through the spirit in your inner man, that's enabled by the spirit, and then with Christ dwelling in your heart through faith, that's through Jesus. So this is Paul's second prayer in the letter to the Ephesians. It's interesting in both prayers that he prays for power for us. And in this one, Paul prays that his readers would be strengthened with power. And he tells us in these three verses, sorry, these two verses, that it's going to happen in three ways. So he tells us where the spirit comes from, sorry, where the power comes from, which is from God, how the power is to be used by the Holy Spirit, and who directs the use of the power, which is Jesus. So God provided, first point, 
We're still working on it. So the first thing is this power is provided by God. And it says it's according to his riches in glory. According to the riches of glory that God will provide us with power. So this power, um, it, it comes from the full vastness of God's glory. And the word according to means in proportion to. So Paul is not praying here for a small portion of God's power, but power in proportion to the riches of God's glory. So if I, if I, if I was a billionaire, I'd love to be, and I gave you 10 quid, that would be just out of my riches. I'd give you 10 quid. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything significant. It would just be out of my riches. But I've, if I was to give you 100 million pounds... That's in proportion to my riches. Does that make sense? It's not a perfect illustration because obviously a billion pounds is limited, whereas God's glory is infinite. And God's riches are infinite. But you kind of get the idea that God gives us power in direct proportion to the riches of his glory. That's quite a lot, my guess is. So the power is provided by God. And it's vast. Secondly, it's spirit-enabled. So the use of the power is by the spirit in the inner man. You might as well just go back to the first one, Alex. Don't worry about it. Um, So the use of the power is by the spirit in the inner man. So the spirit enables us to use this power. So in the beginning of the book of Acts, do you remember it, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Woo! Well done. So this strengthening that he does, it's not like the outward strength. He's not going to make us suddenly like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Wonder Woman. I went to see that this week. It's a great film. Um, unfortunately, he's not going to make us like me like Wonder Woman. Um, so this strengthening isn't for the outward man. It's not for our outward body, but it's for our innermost being. Um, I've got loads of Bible verses to back this up, so see me after if you want them. But the Bible tells us that our inner being... It can see, it can hear, it can taste, it can feel, it must be exercised, it's cleansed, it's washed, it must be fed daily, and it must be renewed. So the inner being to the Christian is almost more real than this outer shell. We pay so much attention, don't we, to the outer bit, but the innermost being is all, all these things go on that we must do to it. And um, so in order to help us, this is where God, uh, Paul prays for God's power to strengthen us in our inner being. I want to propose that it's a bit like steroids of the spirit. So <laughs> you all know people that have probably been on steroids for their, outer, for their outer shell. This Paul is praying that we would be strengthened in our innermost being. So praying for steroids of the spirit. I'm not quite sure how biblical that is, but anyway. So why do we need this kind of strengthening? We, we, you know, if you're anything like me, we need strength day by day, don't we? And I think um, a lot of people almost wait until they're on the edge before actually asking for strength and asking for power. We kind of wait till our batteries are run completely, di- are completely almost dead before we get a jump start. But I... Could you imagine what it, was, what it would be like if we were filled with this power of God in our innermost being all the time? 
Could you imagine what a difference that would make? The, the, sort of the, the sort of the position that we would be living from if we, we had that much power inside of us. So it comes from God. We're able to use it by the Spirit. But Jesus is the one who directs us. So it then says in Ephesians 3.17, it says, Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. This word dwell, it's a bit of an old-fashioned one, isn't it? But apparently it's the word katokio, katoikio, katoikio probably. And it means to settle down, be at ease and to be comfortable. So for some of us, a, a dwelling place where we might be comfortable might be with glass of wine, some chocolates, Netflix, you know, you might be really comfortable there. That's where you're kind of really settled down and, and at ease. You might never want to really get up, but you're comfortable. Um, and for some people, a home is where everything is kind of in order. The floors are clean, the bins are emptied, the bills are paid, the washing's folded. And then when all those things are done, then they, then they kind of... Uh, uh, or at ease, and they're a bit more comfortable. And I think there are probably times in our lives where Jesus, so he wants to dwell in, our, dwell in our hearts, where Jesus isn't at ease in our lives. And I, I just want, I want Jesus to feel at ease in my, in my life. I want him to feel comfortable and at home. So what does it mean when it says Christ dwells in our hearts? I, <laughs> I remember... I have asked Abby for permission to, to share this story, but she is out, so she, she's going to get embarrassed. Um, I remember when Abby was about three, she got us a bit distracted at bedtime when we were praying. And uh, we ended up just weirdly trying to explain the Trinity to a three-year-old. Um, the fact that God's one, but he's three separate beings. You know those kind of procrastination things that happen at, just at kids' bedtime? They're trying to get, get you to go on as long as possible. And we just we said to her that Jesus Jesus lives inside of us. And so she asked with a bit of a glint in her eye, she said, Does Jesus live in my bottom? <laughs> and <laughs> but it is a bit weird, isn't it? We talk about Jesus living in our hearts. It's it's weird. What does that mean? Does Jesus really live in our this blood pumping muscle in our in our inside of our bodies? And I think Paul is using an idiom here, just a special way of saying something. And it's like the heart, your heart is the symbol of life. It's your being, it's who you are. It's used to describe the intangibles, isn't it, of what it means to be human. It's our personality. And according to the Bible, it's our source of emotions and our will. So the heart is who you are. And so Jesus wants to dwell in your heart. And he wants to be at ease in your life. So he wants to make his home there. And your life is it's a bit like a house, isn't it? And Jesus wants to dwell comfortably in it. And um, he knows it's not perfect. He knows it's not perfect. He's not waiting for you to uh, have it completely swept clean before he moves in. He knows that there are flaws. He knows that there are things that need fixing. Flaws as in W. Maybe there are flaws. Um, but he is he's the master carpenter, isn't he? He's the master electrician. He's the master plumber. And if, if you are willing, if you want him to come into your heart, into your life, he will come in completely free. It's like those um, changing rooms is what happened a long time ago. But what's that latest one where they go in and transform a, a house? 
DIY SOS, bit of a tearjerker. <laughs> but that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come in and make it, transform our, our lives, our innermost being, so that he can be comfortable there. So, and when he's, I, I guess when he's dwelling in your heart, when he's in control of your innermost being, he then directs you to live the way that he lived. It's not about us trying to make it and just be good Christians. It's about the power coming into our hearts, dwelling inside of us, and then he enables us to live like Christ. So God enables, the Spirit empowers, and Christ directs. So moving on to 17 and 18, it says, Being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have power, there's the power again, together with all of the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, this second part. This, this phrase, being rooted and grounded in love, it's what Jesus wants to do with the power from God through the Spirit. Jesus wants to root and ground us in love. And rooted brings to mind trees, generally, doesn't it? And a tree must have roots deep enough and uh, strong enough in good soil with lots of water in order for the tree to, to grow tall and be healthy. And architects, they all know the value of good foundations, don't they? I don't know whether you've ever seen a large building being built, but it just seems they spend ages on the foundations before they even start to do anything above ground. I think one architect said, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. And that's our spiritual life as well. What, what are we grounded upon? And so Jesus wants to root and ground your life and what will last and what's eternal, what, what won't fade, what won't be destroyed. And the foundation of everything is love. Do we really, really know how much we're loved? Do you really know how much you're loved? And he asked that we would have power to be able to comprehend. That just means no. What's the width? That's how wide it is. That's the, how long? That's the, 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 sorry, the length. That's how long it is. The depth, that's how deep it goes. The height, that's how high it rises. And by using these terms, Paul is literally just saying that the love of Christ is infinite. There's no boundaries on it. It's absolutely incredible. When he says width, he means it's wider than the universe. When he says length, he means furthest from the east, from the west. When he says deep, the depth of Christ's love, it's deeper than the ocean. And the vastness of God's love, it's so difficult to explain, isn't it? I think Paul almost cuts himself off here. Um, he just says this love can't be known. It actually can't be known. So how are we supposed to know what's infinite? And yet Paul prays that we would know it anyway. So Paul has now prayed for two impossible things. Great. Power to do what we can't do and knowledge to know what we can't know. And then he goes on with a third request, which seems to probably carry on the same theme. So how big is God? He's, uh, there's, a, there's a theological term, omnipresent. So God is everywhere. No matter where you are in the universe, God is there. Even when you get to the edge of the universe where time and matter stop, God's still there. 
he keeps going. He's, he's just vast, isn't he? And then the other kind of theological term is God is omnipotent. And this talks about God's power. He's so powerful. With a mere thought, he could obliterate the universe. That's his power, incredible, vast power. And so with God's omnipresence and omnipotence in mind, think of what Paul is praying for here in verse 19. He prays that you, as a teeny tiny speck of flesh and bones, and me, with life that's but a breath, made from dust, he prays that you would know how loved you are, and this is the bit that will blow your mind if you get your head around this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It means all of God's divine attributes and perfection. Every bit of him. So it's a term that is used of Jesus in Colossians 2 verse 9. Jesus was completely God, wasn't he? And it says that in Christ dwelt the fullness of God in bodily form. Fullness, it means fullness. It's not like half full, fullness. So Paul prays for us here to be full, to be full of all the fullness of God. It's almost like try taking something that's bigger than the universe, which is what Paul's just described here, bigger than the universe, something so big it's infinite, you can't even describe it, and stuffing it into like five foot four. Some people, you've got a bit more room. There's Paul, but a bit more room for Paul. But something so infinite that's trying to stuff itself into our bodies, the fullness of God. And again, it's impossible, isn't it? That's impossible. So we've seen these three requests. All of them are impossible. He prayed that we'd do what we can't do, that we'd know what we can't know, and that we'd be filled with what we can't be filled. So he prays for these three seemingly impossible things. But Paul remembered then what he told his his disciples. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Paul goes on in Ephesians uh, 3.20, he says, You think I've asked for impossible things? I haven't even scratched the surface of what God's able to do. And it says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. Now, I'm going to give you a little English lesson. Anyone study English? Because I I didn't. So apparently, that phrase, exceedingly abundantly, or in some uh, versions, it's immeasurably. Apparently, it comes from one Greek word, which is a double compound adverb. I know. So double compound adverb, apparently, it's a very rare construction. So this particular construction, it begins with a root word. And the root word is perisos. And it means abundant, over and above, more than enough. And in John 10, verse 10, it says, Jesus came that we might have life and have it perisof, more abundantly. So Paul then takes this word, perisos, which already means abundance, and adds not one, not just one, but two words on top of it to make it a double compound adverb. So like, I'll, use, I'll use an English word to kind of illustrate it. So we can, we can have the word, say, hero. And you've, so you've got a hero, and then you might have a superhero. And then that's a compound word. And then if you add another word on top, so you're not just a hero, not just a superhero, but a mega superhero. 
That would be a double compound adverb. Who knew that you're going to get English lesson today as well? <laughs> so that double compound adverb is what Paul is using here when he says exceedingly abundantly. It's like a double-double. Triple. So he's had three prayer requests for the impossible. And then he says God can not only do it, he can double do it, he can triple do it, he can run circles around it, he can do it with one eye, one eye closed, his arm behind his back, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. And if that's not enough, wait, there's more. I know. Paul says he can do this and more. He says, if I can ask it, God can do it. And he says, if I can even think it or imagine it, God can do it. So God can do things that I can't even imagine. God can do things that I can't even think about. I don't know whether you've got impossible situations in your life. I don't know whether anybody can think of something going on in each of your lives right now that is impossible. You can't quite see a way through. And I want you to think of that and read verse 20 over it. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to know the answer. You don't have to say, God, this, this is what I think you should do. This is how it all can work out. <clears throat> you can ask God for the impossible. You don't even need to be able to imagine a solution. God can do more than all you ask or imagine. So how does God do this? Again, it's, it's according to his power. And it's the power that's in us. It's just quite mind-blowing, this whole thing. I've just been mind blown when I've been studying this this week. So God does the impossible and he does more than we ask or imagine according to the power which is in us. Power that created the universe. Power that can do the impossible. Power that can do more than we can imagine. That power is in us for our use. To do what we can't do, to know what we can't know, to be filled with what we can't be filled with. So I want to pray this prayer again today, today together. I, uh, yeah, maybe let's stand, let's stand and, and pray this prayer. And let's ask God to fill us with His power. And I, I just, I just think it's power that's going to change this world. It's power, that, power, transforming power in our lives that's going to change this world. It's going to change Balham. It's going to change London. If we really have the power of God within us, the fullness, if we're filled with the fullness of God, how is this city going to be changed? It's not just an, a nice social justice pro program, as amazing as that is. We've got to have power. We've got to have power. And we need his power to understand how much we're loved and to know our identity. That's how we know our identity, when we're filled with his power. We need his power to be filled with the fullness of God. So we're going to read this together. And in your head, pray it for the person on your left and your right as you're praying it. That we would be filled with the power of God. That each one of us, if you're on the edges, like pray for all the way around. So everybody's got at least two people praying for them. So let's pray together. I kneel before the Father.
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that according to his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.